This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at reactroundup.com slash kendoui. Hello from New Orleans. This is React Roundup. And this week we're talking to Jordan Eldridge about his WebAmp project. I am your host, Sia Caramelagos. And we also have Lucas Heche. Yeah, um, why don't you guys say hi? I'm Lucas. Hello from New York. And I'm Jordan. Hello from the San Francisco Bay Area, where it is currently 8 a.m. Oh, yeah. I forgot about time difference. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, area. Um, all right. So, Jordan, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? It looks to be pretty interesting. Yeah, sure. So, um, I... Uh, my like first introduction to programming was actually um, having to do with music um, because I was studying music in college. So I had done a bunch of music things in high school. And when I decided I was time to go to college, the sort of natural thing was uh, to study music. And so I, I got my degree in music. I studied opera um, and as an opera singer and while I was at school, I was working on a side project. I was working on a few side projects, but the, the one main one I was working on was actually a software for organizing my, my large collection of opera recordings. Um, so I had, like, had gotten to the point where the iTunes ID3 tag sorting was not cutting it for tracking you know, who the conductor was and who the singers were and what roles they were singing. And so I was so frustrated that I, I figured I would write my own thing and so I forced myself to learn PHP and MySQL, and I did all web because that was the only thing I knew how to do. Um, and yeah, I just continued working on that project and teaching myself things along the way. Um, and when I graduated school without a um, useful degree and instead uh, had no job, I was sitting on the couch and my roommate at the time was doing contract work for like uh, small WordPress sites and projects like that. And he was behind on a deadline and I was sitting there hacking on my side project with no job. And he's like, hey, do you want to do some of my work for me? And I was like, no, I don't want to do your work for you. He's like, I'll pay you money. And I said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I should do that. Uh, so I did that for a number of years. And um, eventually I realized I wasn't sort of growing in the way that I wanted to be growing doing these small sites. And so I uh, applied for a job uh, at a startup and a, a bigger startup, and I did that for a while. And yeah, that's sort of where I started to really learn real engineering. And so that's how I went from singer <laughs> uh, in college and um, and continuing to do that here in the Bay Area to uh, engineer. That's pretty awesome. Um, so have you recorded anything opera-wise? Yeah, I do mostly um, live stuff here in the Bay Area. Um, I never, oh, wow. I never really had the ambition to do it, or I mean, I guess a combination. I never really had the ambition, plus the like uh, required natural, like extreme talent to do opera at sort of the very, very large scale. Um, but yeah, I continue to do um, sort of regional performances here. Um, but yeah, opera is not so much a recorded medium right now, <laughs> except at the very top level. So yeah, mostly just live, live performances. 
That, that's really interesting. Uh, I relate a lot, a lot to that because I also have like a music background. I work as a musician for 15 oh, nice. years before. Although it was uh, different, I was like a keyboard player in more like popular music settings, playing with bands and playing inside the studios, things like that. And I, I feel that it's like a, a common thing in front end developing. Like uh, I believe that 90% of every front end team I worked with People were from like really like diverse backgrounds from everywhere, from music to a lot of design, people with design uh, background and stuff like that. Why, why do you think that that's a thing in front end in particular and programming in general? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. I, I think there might be two pieces to it. And of course, this is all conjecture, but I think part of it is that front end is really young put on web development as a like sort of mature <laughs> discipline. Um, and I think a lot of people who are self-taught probably came through the web because it's open, it's an open platform. Um, it's, it, you know, I think dev tools and the browser made it very approachable to sort of like, you know, view source, copy paste, you know, and, and you're on your way. Um, so I think if you're going to be self-taught, it's probably much more likely that you're going to come in through the web HTML, making websites for your friends, um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if there's a disproportionate number of self-taught engineers in front end. And then similarly, I think you're right that I think the, that front end engineers overlapping with the design world is also, so I guess it's sort of natural, right? That you would have people who were interested in design figuring out, okay, well, how can I go one step, uh, you know, to the right or to the left, I guess, depending on where you're standing, um, and figure out how I can be more helpful and implement some of these things myself or have more control. Um, but I've definitely observed the same thing, that there is a pretty surprisingly large overlap between front-end engineers and specifically musicians. And I don't know whether there's more musicians in the world than I would have otherwise estimated or uh, whether there is sort of some correlation. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know entirely why that is. Yeah, I believe it's really hard to make money as a musician. <laughs> everyone, everyone grows up with their ambitions of being a musician and looks around and goes, oh no, how do I make money? And then yeah. uh, engineering says, hello. Yes, right. Yeah, and the web, I, I agree with you. Like the first time I opened Notepad and I could like with in five minutes have a marquee with my name <laughs> Just <laughs> go, you know, so like, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm going to learn. That's so funny. So one of the, um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're here talking about like WebAmp, which is this re-implementation of WinAmp in JavaScript. And uh, one of the, the hilarious things that I actually got to do as part of this project was uh, WinAmp. So I guess for anyone who doesn't know, WinAmp was sort of the canonical um, MP3 player from uh, like the late 90s, early 2000s, like Napster era. But it had this sort of very unique UI. And one of the things that it featured was, was actually a, a marquee where it would have like the title of your song and it would be, it would be scrolling past. And I was so excited that I was going to get to use a marquee tag, like a, a real marquee tag for <laughs> its real purpose. And I was like, I was like I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then I realized very quickly that I couldn't actually use a real marquee tag because it had to, had to jump letter at a time. Mm -hmm. instead of being um, oh, yeah. linear. Mm -hmm. And then also I had to be able to like control it. So like in certain instances, the way you interact with it, it has to be like, we have to like scroll it manually. And so I had to drop and do it in JavaScript. <laughs> so That's sad. 
That's, you know, I guess the marquee, the marquee tag <laughs> spec wasn't nearly flexible enough for, you know, the future cases <laughs> that would, that would come along. Oh my God. That's a great story. <laughs> I know. That's really funny. Um, so, um, what did you originally write WebAmp in? Yeah. So the, like the main inspiration for the project. Um, so for anyone who, who doesn't remember WinAmp was like themable. So you could download these, um, like binary files called skins. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like, for me, actually, that was, that was one of my main introductions to, I think, being constructive at the computer was these trying to create these Winamp skins. And I, the only ones I ever did were the worst, like they're terrible. Um, like, like Lucas was saying, people coming from design to, um, to front end, that was not me. <laughs> it wasn't that I had some skill in design. Um, but um, yeah, so I was, I was work, this was work shortly after I had started, I had started my job at a startup and I was working on CSS sprites, um, which is this like idea where you can, uh, instead of having like a large number of very small images, yeah. you can put them all together in one single large image, and then you can use CSS to sort of slice them out and to um, show just one piece of that sprite, that larger image. Do and I was doing do that? that. Yeah, I think it's still it's still an optimization for when yeah, you have yeah. a lot of small images. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I was work, working on something like that for work, and I was sitting at home and I just realized like, oh. That's like the way we're doing that with CSS, which I think comes from video games originally, um, is really similar to how Winamp skins were made. I wonder if I could use CSS to render the like Winamp UI from its original like assets, from the original skin assets. And so I sat down to do that. And at that time, I really had done almost no real JavaScript. I had sort of like stitched together bad jQuery plugins. And so I reached for what I knew, right? I reached for jQuery. And so it was all DOM-based and it was all jQuery. And I worked on it for a while and it was fine. I got the, you know, the original like rendering piece working. Um, but I very quickly realized that I didn't really know what was going on. Like I... I had this sort of, I think anyone who's worked with a framework long enough realizes that, or who starts with a framework rather than starting with sort of the, the core language goes to a phase where they realize that like, oh, there's something happening under the hood here. And sometimes yeah. it's coming back to bite me, but I mm-hmm. don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that I would uh, rewrite in vanilla JavaScript. And that I think was a huge, like, uh, turning point in my career of like realizing like, oh, it's not that complicated. Um, <laughs> And I felt like a sort of a tautness between myself and the program I was writing where I, was, I felt so much more in control of mm-hmm. what I was doing. Um, and everything sort of made sense in a new way. And that was really where I started to learn real JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, for a while it was written in vanilla JavaScript. And I was like, how do you write modules? Like, how do you separate code? Yeah. Into, like, files? How, how do, like, I don't know how to do any of this. Uh, like, how do you encapsulate things? And like, I think I had like six different notions of like what a class was or like how you, like, how do you encapsulate things? Um, and then it, you know, I added more and more and more functionality, um, you know, and I started to realize that, that with a um, sort of like MVC style model, which I think was sort of what I was trying to follow, um, you end up you end up ultimately, unless you're extremely, extremely careful, you end up managing transitions rather than 
managing state. And so like someone mm-hmm. clicks a button mm-hmm. and especially when you end up with like state in the DOM, every click of a button has to figure out like, okay, from this state, how do I get to the new state? Um, and from what I had read about React, which I really had done very little with at the time, I realized that it had the potential to um, sort of nip that in the bud because I was ending up with this like um, exponential growth of code complexity versus features. So every time I add a new feature or a new state, I end up having to manage the transition between that state and every other state. And so you can see like this is an exponential growth and this code is not going to scale. Um, but React had this, this model where you know you have a one-way data flow of like state maps to UI, maps to HTML. Um, and so I realized this is a, a much more reasonable paradigm for this particular project. And I, I ended up switching to um, React with Redux to model the state. And I think for this project, it ended up being an extremely good fit. That that's really interesting. I uh, uh, so do, do you believe that your the struggle with vanilla for a while made you like more aware of what React really brings? Because this is like sometimes we we the the boilerplate culture of like early React and things like that. People were like, "Oh, let's go directly to React and Redux," and then. Uh, not understanding why those pieces are there. Do you think this gave you like a good? Yeah, I think I think Dan Abramov has like a, a his sort of a notorious blog post about like you don't, you might not need Redux or you don't need Redux. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things he calls out is like, don't start with a tool, like start without the tool until you feel the pain of not having the tool, <laughs> and then reach for the yeah. tool. Yeah, um, and it's very tempting not to do that, especially um, you know. I think everyone sort of wants to be making sure they're keeping up and that they're trying all the new things. Um, and I would, I would totally agree, Lucas, that like I, from having felt the pain of, of what a vanilla JavaScript didn't offer, and even before that, having felt the pain of what um, of using jQuery and the the ways that it was getting in my way or separating me from the um, like direct access and understanding of what I was doing. Um, yeah, getting that, having felt that pain that I understood the problem that React and Redux were actually solving for me um, without sort of like blindly applying it. Um, And yeah, it it definitely taught me a lot just like how to write any code at all. Um, Mm -hmm. But then I think also uh, React was a great fit there and Redux as well in that um, they're built around vanilla JavaScript as the main thing that you're doing most of the time. Um, And everything that I learned uh, you know, before was, you know, how to map over things and how to, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, do all these things transferred directly um, in a way that I don't know if moving to another framework would have been quite so direct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one uh, one question would have about uh, your choice of React is that you uh, when the WinNump application has a lot of, like, browser-specific APIs use, like audio and things like that, that are very, like, side effectful. And and these things are a little bit uh, tricky with React sometimes. So how did you deal with uh, the audio API or something? Yeah. So one of the things I love about side projects, and, and this I've been working on this side project since, like, late 2014. So it's, like, a very long-term project for me. Um, but the the thing that I love about side projects is that 
there is not a deadline. <laughs> and so when you get stuck, I feel like at work, it's like, okay, I'm stuck. I now I got to figure out how I'm going to like, how am I going to hack it or how I'm going to, you know, how, how am I going to ship at the end of the week or how am I going to ship today? And uh, with the side projects, like I don't have a good solution to this problem. I'm just not going to solve it. I'm going to wait a week, a month, <laughs> you know, six months um, until I really feel like I have a good solution to this problem. And especially with the introduction of, um, of Redux and this sort of beautiful one-way data flow that Redux enables, it was really stuck with how to include the web audio uh, into that because so the, the audio itself has side effects, right? Like it can stop on its own when you get to the end of the track. And so like if you, have, if you want to have a single source of truth, how do you manage this other thing which also has the reality of the world going on in it? Um, and then I think even more complicated, um, the web amp has this like visualization, right? Where as the audio is playing, you see a live like, um, you know, spectrograph mm-hmm. um, of, of what the audio is doing. And that's like the updates that are way too fast to be going through, uh, like, you know, you're not going to have a dispatch in action, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 60 times a second. Um, and so I, I sat on this problem for a long time, not feeling like I had a good way to model it. And the solution I ended up coming up with, I think, really was a good one, um, which I ended up using um, a Redux middleware, which was basically the only thing in the application which knew about the audio source. Um, and so it would subscribe to the audio node and listen for events like the, the playback ended. And it would listen for events like... Um, you know, the duration changed or the mm-hmm. we stalled or that, um, you know, all the different things that can happen as side effects um, in audio land. And it would dispatch an action when that happened. Um, and then conversely, it would listen for actions. And any time the like, you know, play audio action would be dispatched, it would propagate, it would pass that back to the actual audio node. And so there was basically, I, I feel like the, the more I learn about software, the more the challenges are about taking all the ugly things and putting them in one place. <laughs> and once you can do that, like uh, you don't feel so bad. Like the rest of your application can pretend that the world is actually a great place and that there aren't side effects going on. Um, but it was really just about finding a way to take all those different pieces that were leaking out into the rest of my application and putting them in a single place. And yeah, the, the Redux middleware ended up being a great, um, a great way to do that. Um, as far as the like visualization, which does have to update much more quickly, that does that is a single that is an ad, one additional source of truth that I have. So there's the Redux state and then the uh, analyzer node, which I propagate through the Redux um, the React tree, and components will subscribe directly to that um, to like render to a canvas, things like that. But yeah, it was a very interesting challenge, and um, I was glad that I had the the time to think about it because it did it wasn't an obvious solution to me in retrospect it maybe seems kind of obvious um or maybe to a smarter engineer it would seem obvious but to me it was uh it took a while to come up with that solution i think that's how we learn though right like we do it wrong or hard difficultly the first time (laughs) around and then we finally realize this is crap and so (laughs) we find a better way yeah and (laughs) And i think we learn yeah. yeah and i think side projects are a great um, yeah. opportunity to follow up on those things where you learn mm-hmm. like, oh, that is crap. Um, and <laughs> I feel like, you know, at, at work, it's very hard to validate like, oh my gosh, I finally found the right solution to this thing. Time to go spend a week refactoring this and make it actually good. And people are like, yeah, but it works. And like, 
yeah. other features to ship, but we got, you know, customer, mm-hmm. you know, we got to be creating value here. And with a side project, it's like, no, I don't care about creating value. I just want this software to be really nice. Yeah, I think that for me, at least, this particular side project and the other ones that I've had as well has really been a, like a great teacher to me um, because it has afforded me the opportunity to really have the space and the the bandwidth to solve, to try to figure out how to solve problems the right way, even though, like you said, I often have to do it wrong <laughs> several times mm-hmm. before I get there. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, I I, I understand. Like in, in companies, uh, when you are in a, in a when you are in a company, you you uh, you don't have that time of like the next iterations a lot of time because money will right you run right. out of money so you can't say like okay let's try five times yeah <laughs> right yeah you can't That's say nice. let's try five times and you can't say let's wait five months. <laughs> Until yes. you know, you're taking a shower one morning and you're like, oh, a middleware. That would be a good solution. Yeah. This is really and maybe this is this is the source of the tech debt that we that we deal so much like in our lives. And then from time to time we can have the the luxury of that refactory time. And then yeah, refactor exactly. and we solve those problems and create new ones for the future. <laughs> <laughs> or, or even, you know, this migration from jQuery to vanilla JavaScript to, to React. Who knows if I would have, in, in you know, a more productized environment, if I would have felt, you know, empowered to make that initial choice. Like, well, we've got this, you know, we're, we're already going on jQuery. Let's just keep paying into that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at some point it's easier with a side project to say like, nope, let's just rewrite everything um, than, yeah. than it would be otherwise. Yeah, there are a bunch of Backbone and Angular 1 projects out there, right, that people believe it's it's not worth like, rewriting it on newer stack. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, in fact, actually, when I was working uh, on, when I was first working on WebAmp, I was working at a company where we were basically all Backbone, which actually I, I think had a lot of, it taught me, that experience taught me a lot as well, but and then we did start sort of doing new things in React at that company. Um, and so I think a lot of the things that I took away, that I learned at work, then did also filter back into, into a side project. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash roundup. I feel like it also teaches us why we don't always refactor on the job too because <laughs> realize how long it actually takes once we dive in <laughs> yeah definitely and and i think well, one of the things that i've taken away is that when you do go to refactor that the, like the most important thing that you need is a is a strategy that is iterative um mm-hmm. and that like like a rewrite is almost never the right solution. In fact, I had a manager who's, who was in one of our one-on-ones, he was telling me that uh, of about a, a study where they had 
basically analyzed a large number of software projects and looked at their like success or failure rate. Like basically, did they ever ship? And there was an enormous correlation between the size of the project and whether it ever shipped. And the like, as your project gets larger, the likelihood that it's never going to happen is like goes up steeply. And so, I think I've I've taken away from that like, it's it's better to take a long time and figure out a, a iterative path um, than it is to take the sort of what might feel like a shortcut and just rewrite. Um, so even if it's much more painful to go iteratively, it's almost always a better solution. And that's, and that's what I've, um, what I ended up doing myself actually through both of those migrations. Very cool. So how did you, how did you approach that? For example, when you um, migrated to React and Redux, or I don't know if React was the first stage and then Redux later. Yeah. Um, I think I did, I did React and Redux at the same time because I had had some experience at work with those two together and I, and I felt like they would be a good fit. Um, and yeah, it was basically just um, like one by one taking pieces of state which had lived in the DOM and, and migrating them into, um, into Redux. Um, and I think, I'm trying to remember now, I think I actually was doing, um, yeah, I was, I was moving things into Redux and making sure that that was the source of truth. And then even if I had to like subscribe to the Redux store inside some, you know, non or React code, um, that was the, for me, it was mostly about state, moving state out. And then adding mm -hmm. React was, was easy. Um, but first I, I moved state. And then if I had to manually subscribe to the store in like 30 different places, that was fine. Um, because at least the sort of source of truth was unified. And from there, it's very easy to rewrite um, in React. That's very interesting. I've never even thought about, I guess, because most React apps I start have been like the full app. Mm -hmm. So I never even thought like, yes, you can totally share the Redux store outside of React. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually, that's another good point about, about side projects is I think most of us, um, you know, we, we get a job at a company and we're working on an established application and the process of creating a new application from scratch and all the, like the boilerplate and decisions that go into that are something that I feel like we only a very few number of people at any one company actually get, uh, cause you know, like 1% of the, um, of the project consists of that. And the rest is almost always, you know, iterative on top of that and building, you know, this like tower taller and taller and taller. And so, yeah, I think that that figuring out how to start from scratch and figuring out how to migrate are both things that um, I don't know if I would have gotten on the job otherwise. Yeah. Um, refactoring is such an interesting topic. I did Ruby before I did um, front end and um, oh gosh, what's her name? Katrina Owen or Katrina Owens. I forget. Um, but um, she had a really good talk at RailsConf about refactoring. Uh, yeah. Cause I feel like we don't really, learn good methods of doing it when we do need to actually do it or if we're just doing it on side projects. Um, yeah. But yeah, it definitely takes it like a higher level, a higher level skill set to manage that without <laughs> creating a huge mess. Yeah. I, I, uh, uh, the, for the last years of my life, I've been working on like removing front end applications from a monolith and going mm -hmm. to a new microservices kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we, we, we need to think about when doing like any refactoring is like, how are we going to uh, deliver 
and how we're going to measure if this thing is working or not. So mm-hmm. this is like, we always think like, oh, I'm going to use framework, blah, 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 and stuff. I have a lot of ideas. No, before, like one step back, like how are you going to like cut that chunk of the application and put another chunk of another application there? And how are you going to know if it worked or not? Yeah. If it's yeah. better or not? And what do you mean by better? And what do you mean by... so? All these like step backs, this is, I believe that this is the most important. And even when you start thinking about that, parts of the solution starts uh, start coming. Uh, one thing that, that, that I really like, and I believe it's uh, an art and a science, is like, what's the size of the chunk? Because mm-hmm. if, you are, if you choose to be iterative in, in really big parts, we already know it's bad. But if you go really small, like, let's say like a small piece of that form, it's, it's uh, impossible to get it right and almost certain that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a bad user experience. So how do you choose the, 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 the size of the chunk that you were refactoring? This is also like a, a really interesting subject. Yeah. I think uh, the other thing that's interesting is when um, like feature work requires refactoring. Um, so I had this one, um, this one realization. So again, going back to these, like these skins that WebAmp has, uh, or that WebAmp supports. So like, uh, you can actually drag in any of these original skins into WebAmp and inside the browser, we will like parse out all the images. We'll slice out all the images from the, um, from the sprite sheets and we'll, you know, can we actually end up converting that into a like, um, enormous string, which is a CSS. Uh, style sheet with like data URI images embedded in it and inject that into the DOM to get the styling. Um, but what I realized is that in, in real uh, Winamp, there, a, a skin is permitted to omit some assets if it wants to fall back to the default. And so I was like, well, how do I do this and like have a fallback? Like how do I have two, basically I have to have like the default skin and the, the real skin. So this was like one of those cases where I was like, oh my gosh, the architecture that I've chosen doesn't solve like doesn't work for this feature that I need to support, um, and so what I ended up having, um, what I ended up re- realizing I would need to be able to do was have the the initial skin basically loaded as a separate style sheet, and then new skins get layered on top. And I was able to use like the, the cascading nature and the like overriding nature of CSS to allow anything that hadn't been applied by the um, the designated skin to fall back to the um, to the default skin. And so I was like, oh man, I'm gonna have to like really figure out how to re-architect things. And so I ended up moving around a lot of different pieces to to support this. And um, I was and but the thing that was really interesting was at the at the end, because I didn't I, what I ended up doing was basically shipping the CSS piece instead of shipping the actual like dig, the binary asset and then like at load time converting it into CSS. And so this like project, which ultimately was like a refactor in order, in order to support a feature, ended up realizing that the asset I was shipping was CSS instead of this binary blob. And once I had that, I was like, oh, well, now I could go like optimize the CSS. Like I could run all these data URIs through like a PNG optimizer. And oh, and if I don't actually have to parse the skin at startup, I don't have to like load JavaScript, fetch, and then like once I've loaded JavaScript, realize I need to make this Ajax request to get the, the skin file and then run it through this like unzipping mechanism. So like I didn't need to wait for the, um, the JavaScript to load before I could start fetching the skin. And I didn't even need to load the zip 
um, utility as part of my default bundle. So I was able to defer loading that. And so this like new feature I had to add ended up requiring a refactor. And that refactor ended up actually like having a huge performance win for me um, at the end of the day. And I was like, it's the, that for me is like the most pleasing thing in the world when like a new thing sort of completes your mental model of what the problem is in such a way that you realize that the problem is actually simpler um, and that things can actually be simplified and made faster um, rather than getting more complex. And I think, again, like a side project where you have the time to think about it um, really uh, is one of the few places where you, where you, I feel like it, it, outside of a side project, you might not be able to slow down enough to realize the bigger picture that, mm -hmm. oh, this new feature actually completes a puzzle, which simplifies things rather than like adding another edge somewhere. Yeah. Interesting. I have, uh, I'm curious about another, uh, another thing. You said that the application was evolving from jQuery to vanilla to react. And how did the configuration of your application evolve? Did it evolve or using the same tools uh, you were using in the beginning? How did it evolve? Yeah, so I think, let's see, to make sure, maybe I'm, there's, I think, a couple ways to interpret that question. Um, f just from like a build process. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like it went from having no, yeah, I went from having no build process with jQuery to just like a number of script tags um, and like an increasing number of script tags. Um, <laughs> To vanilla JavaScript, still no build process. Um, and then when I added React, I realized I did need to add um, a build process. Um, and so yeah, it's, it's using Webpack. I still haven't upgraded to four, but uh, we'll see. We'll get there. Um, but uh, one thing that was interesting was once I was in, in Webpack land and I wasn't trying to solve, um, like trying to, to split code up into different files for two different reasons, right? Before having a bundler, I was thinking, okay, well, I need another file to encapsulate this logic, but that comes at the expense of an additional HTTP request. And like, mm -hmm. what is the right trade-off here to make? And getting to um, basically separate those two concerns meant that there was suddenly an explosion of the number of files. So I, you know, it's got like tons and tons and tons of files, um, whereas before it was sort of a smaller number of huge files. Um, and I think that that was a really nice thing to be able to do. Um, without having to feel like I was compromising on another, on another area, but it does. It is a lot of complexity. It's surprising how much, like fiddliness, goes into to a thing like like having a build process in a bundler. Yeah, I learned so much more when I stopped when I didn't rely on Create React app, or actually, I built a vanilla vanilla JavaScript project and had to start from scratch on Webpack and. But this is, of course, before Webpack 4, where now they have sensible defaults. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I learned so much about not just Webpack, but different, like every single performance piece, because you're basically building, you know, your loader for each um, type of uh, file. It, yeah. it was interesting. But yes, a little bit painful. Yeah. But you learn so much. <laughs> and it does, it does sort of open the door for a lot of things like... Um, like having, you know, deferred loading and late or late lazy loading. That was a huge, like I said, you know, that was one of the big wins for this moving to this new architecture was I didn't need to have this entire zip library loaded as part of the initial um, load time. Um, but one thing that did highlight for me is that I feel like there's not really a great story around um, dependencies, which have, um, which might want pieces of the dependency to be lazy loaded. Um, so like one of the things that WebAMP does is it, it will, um, like if you drag in an MP3, mm -hmm. it, it will 
read the ID3 tags. So I guess this kind of goes full circle back to like my college days where I was rebelling against uh, <laughs> the like media tags in MP3 files and trying to like solve that problem. But now full circle, I'm like reading ID3 tags in a browser um, using actually a, a library that a colleague of mine, um, JS Media Tags. Um, but one of the challenges is like, okay, I can lazy load JS Media Tags only when I actually need to read um, an ID3 tag. But um, for example, there's a guy on GitHub right now who's, who's working on switching out that library for another one which can read a huge number of different media types. And I don't know if there's a great story for um, him being able to define like, hey, we only need to lazy load the um, reader for this data type when we get that type of file. Um, and it's like these like transitive lazy loading. I don't mm -hmm. feel like there's a, a good story for that. I don't know if there should be, right? Because maybe the lazy loading um, decision should be bubbled all the way up to the um, actual application level, but it's something that has been a little bit interesting and frustrating. And then also, I want people to be able to include WebAMP in their project. I mean, it's sort of a novelty. I don't think there's anyone who has a really useful use case for it. Uh, I mean, I guess the whole project is a novelty and doesn't have a real use case for it. Um, but um, you know, I, I want to have these transitive dependencies. I don't want to force my anyone who wants to use my project to load everything up front. Um, but right now I have to, because there's not really a good way for me to give them the opportunity to defer loading just by offering an NPM package. When you first started working on this project, how did you tackle just the entire, because you know, like when you think of a side project, I feel like some people don't get started because they just don't know where to start. So, because you know, it's like you, you see your end product, but it's like, uh, what should I actually build? I can't build it all at once. So how did you kind of manage that? Um, yeah, so Winamp uh, it was split into three main windows. There's like the main window, which has like play, pause, volume, and the track, and a little tiny visualizer. Um, and then there's an equalizer, which lets you toggle like the bass and the treble, um, and that all works now. <laughs> and then there's a playlist, which lets you, you know, or sort tracks, and you can drag and drop, and you can, um, you know, select and unselect and rearrange and whatnot. Um, and Again, my, my original interest was mostly in this idea of skinning. And so I, was, I just started with the main window and I got that working. And then I was like, oh, well, I should actually be able to play audio. Let me go learn about Web Audio API. And then I hooked up the bare minimum and I didn't have the visualizer or anything like that. And I posted it on Twitter um, and I tagged like one friend of mine who I thought like, oh, this, this guy will get a kick out of it. And it ended up getting like retweeted like a bajillion times and uh, got posted on Hacker News and then got like written up in like Gizmodo. I was like, okay, there's something here. <laughs> so I'm going to keep working on this. And yeah, from there, I was like, okay, well, how do I get the visualizer to work? And let me learn about Canvas and, and you know, uh, anal analyzer nodes and web audio. And so it was a very, just like starting with like the very minimum thing that was interesting to me. Because the thing that was interesting was this, the skins. But then it was interesting how each additional step had this sort of exponential complexity growth. Because the first window, okay, that's fine. Okay, now I want to add the second window. Okay, well now like you have to be able to drag windows around and like they have this snapping feature where like you can put them next to each other and they'll like click. And like that was a huge problem to have to solve even before I could even start working on the, the reality of like how do you build an equalizer and how do you process the audio for that? Um, and then again, like that I did another announcement after that of like, oh, now we support the equalizer. And then from there with the playlist, it's like, oh my gosh, my whole, again, going back to refactoring, right? like my whole uh, architecture assumes there's only ever one track at a time. And so like, oh my gosh, everything has to be rewritten now to have this idea of like multiple tracks. Um, so I think 
you know, maybe I kind of got lucky in that there was sort of this natural division into three parts and that by picking only the first window, I didn't have to solve, you know, window management. And by not picking the playlist, I didn't have to solve multiple tracks and that, that, you know, did help a lot, but I think really it was about deciding what was interesting to me and it was like, and, and sort of proving that out. And I think that was sort of my guiding light, but it is, it isn't easy especially in a in a project that you know is going to be large. In fact, in this project, I didn't know it was going to be large. I didn't realize that I would actually, you know, four years, almost four years later, that I would still be working on it. And that people like, would look at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Much <laughs> like other than your mom. <laughs> right. Uh, or other than, yeah, like my one friend on Twitter who I was like, oh, he's going to think this is um, Yeah, the, the response to it has been pretty incredible. And I think, you know, it really if I have any advice for anyone, it's like ride the coattails of some other project that people already love <laughs> because yeah, you know, yeah. the, the nostalgia that this has managed to tap into for people. Um, you know, obviously I, I think it's a cool project and I think that some of the, you know, to get these things working in the browser was, you know, pretty, uh, it was some interesting problems. And I think it is surprising to see it in the browser that it works uh, to the extent that it does. Um, but really I think the main, the main, purpose it's like ended up fulfilling is like nostalgic nerds being like oh my god i remember you know when i was like in college or high school and like hacking on skins and like downloading uh you know metallica mp3s or whatever yeah i i also i also like the idea of having like a definite set of requirements like it's it's uh you know the requirements right you have you have the application it needs to to have the same behavior. So this is, this is interesting too. Like as a side project, you have like a clear objectives and clear like things that you need to accomplish. That has been so freeing in this project. I feel like any project, no matter how well spec'd, the engineer ends up making these like millions of little micro decisions that affect like, oh my gosh, like, okay, when this button isn't clicked, but you click it for the first time, like should it have its selected state? Or like these little things which like, there are too small of details for design to really end up like having to spec out having everything just like, I'm going to free myself from the requirement of having to make decisions and judgment calls and just be like, this is the thing I'm building and I'm building it exactly like this. In fact, there are places where I've re-implemented bugs that Winamp had um, <laughs> because it was, that to me was more interesting than trying to decide like, what is the better thing? Like this thing is what uh, audio player in the browser. No one's using it for like a real application. I'm free to, make it a perfect re-implementation rather than making it like an actual useful thing. And I think you really hit the nail on the head that having the, like being free from having to make any of those micro decisions and just code and just be like, just make it work like that. Cause that's hard enough, right? There's enough challenge yeah. there in trying to get it working without having to decide. But then on the flip side of that, some of these things are really hard to get working. And if I had been making, you know, balancing like how do I implement this and is it the right thing to build? I'm sure I would have made a different decision. I would have been like, eh, that seems really hard. Let's, <laughs> let's actually not have it do that. And I think th that's sort of the flip side of the coin where it really forced me to like solve problems, which I otherwise would never have, um, you know, figured out how to solve or forced myself to figure out how to solve. And so I, I really think that this idea of re-implementing another application is really fertile ground for anyone who wants to learn. Um, and it's something that you see in music all the time, right? Like covers, like a cover band or like covering other people's songs is like a completely like natural part of uh, music or like 
you know, you see people at a museum like sketching the great masters. Like this is a thing that you see all the time in other um, like crafts. And I think it's kind of interesting that it's, it feels so absent from software. No, it's uh, it. This is very interesting. Like that's that's how you develop real skills in at least in popular music. It's like I'm gonna play exactly like this yeah. this album, and I cannot cut corners. It needs to yeah. sound exactly like that. So and that forces you to understand what it took to make that sound in that studio at that time, even if you're never gonna be that exact person. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I think it's. Uh, it's a really interesting place and I, I would love to see more people take on projects like this. And, um, cause I do think you can learn an awful lot. Yeah. It's so awesome. Um, I guess, do we have any last questions or topics right before we go into our picks? I'm good. <laughs> All right. Um, so if there's no more questions, let's just go to our picks. Do you run your own freelance business or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side? Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Uh, for me this week, I'm going to do a, a pretty basic one, but someone emailed me a, a Word document earlier this week, and I realized like how much I love Google Docs. <laughs> <laughs> life easier when you need to edit or like work on something with someone or get, collaborate. It's, it's just amazing. Years later, it's still amazing. <laughs> it is. All right, Lucas. Uh, so, uh, this last uh, weeks, I experimented with uh, timing applications in like applications that time everything that you do in the computer as like a productivity, like self discovery thing. It feels uh, really like creepy at first, <laughs> but as long as you are doing it for yourself, for self uh, knowledge and stuff, I, I believe it, it was really, really useful to understand how much time you're spending like on each things that you have the intention to do. I was using the uh, one called Timing App, which is, I believe it's made Mac OS only, but I, I'm pretty sure there are lots of different ones for different uh, platforms. So my pick this, this week is uh, use a Timing App for, for a while and you will discover a lot about your own way of working and things like that. <laughs> that is a great recommendation. I keep meaning to do that, um, but I, I, I keep putting it off. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a few picks. Um, I, I've scrambled up here. Uh, one of them is, I guess, the self-promotion. So as part of this project, um, one of the things I realized was that one of the few pieces of actual value it provided was bringing 
Winamp skins, like making them accessible again without having to go install, like find an instance of Winamp and like maybe even find mm-hmm. Windows machine now that I think a lot of us are using uh, Macs. Um, and so I, I, at, the, at someone's suggestion on Twitter, I created a Twitter bot called at Winamp skins, um, which just periodically will tweet out a picture, uh, like this image screenshot uh, of a Winamp skin, which is actually generated using a puppeteer in WebAmp. So I can like feed in an arbitrary skin and it will spit out an image. Um, and then a link to WebAmp with that skin loaded. Um, so if you want like a you know, daily like a dose of nostalgia in your Twitter timeline, check out at Winamp skins. The other one is if you are still interested in Winamp, it's the sort of the people who officially own it have pretty much abandoned it. But one of the original um, developers of Winamp who was actually very helpful to me in my process, he, he was able to answer a bunch of questions for me about when I was working on WebAmp. Um, he's maintaining a project called Winamp Community Update Pack, which is like abbreviated WACUP, W-A-C-U-P, Winamp Community Update Pack, um, which is basically like his like Patreon-sponsored fork of Winamp. Um, so even though it's not open source, he's able to do like some microcode patching and like use its plugin architecture to ship a continually updating version of Winamp. So if you have like Winamp nostalgia and you're like, man, I wish Winamp hadn't died. It hasn't died as much as you think it, it <laughs> might have. Um, so yeah, check that out. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a really cool project and there's a cool community of people around that. Uh, and then finally, there's a, a cool website. If you like uh, WebAmp and like those kinds of projects that are like pushing the boundaries of the web and also are just kind of like silly and don't necessarily have um, you know, they're not like a product. They're just like someone's hobby project. Um, there's a really cool project, a website called inspiring.online, um, which is just like a blog of really cool stuff on the internet. Um, and it's maintained as a Git repo on GitHub. So if you want to like submit something, you can just open a pull request and add it there. Um, I, I guess like full disclosure, I found out about it because they had posted about uh, WebAmp. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a really cool website. And if you, I feel like all the cool stuff on the internet shows up there first. So I would really recommend checking out inspiring.online. Very cool. Well, um, thank you, Jordan, for telling us about WebAmp this week. We really enjoyed the conversation. It's a lot of fun. And to our audience, thanks for joining us. And be sure to check us out next week on React Roundup. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. <laughs>